0: What's up, guys? Welcome back to another Sport Universe podcast. It's me, Brian, and I'm Drummond Nick.
1: What's going on, guys? And Max. Hello, everybody.
0: Okay, so we're going to get started with football.
1: Yeah, so going into football this week, uh, pretty interesting week of football. I don't I'd say there's not as many big stories as last week, but uh, some pretty good games. Uh, starting out we uh, with our games, we have the Bears and the Panthers. The Bears won it 23-16. to uh, Not really a surprise there. Nick Foles has be doing pretty solid uh, since he's came through for the Bears. Um, yeah, I don't think there's much to talk about there. Obviously, the Panthers are still trying to figure out what they need to do to win games, but the Bears
2: are surprisingly a good team this season. So, Yeah, I was I was not really surprised at the outcome. I was kind of debating which way to go coming into the game because I thought both teams were pretty even. I mean, not necessarily even, but I thought that the Bears, that they weren't that good to be a 4-1 team. Panthers weren't that good to be a 3-2 team, and I thought... It's one of the situations where ideally both teams would be getting back coming back down to earth, but no, the but I mean one team had to win of course and I picked the Bears because of their defense, which proved to be the difference maker. And Foles is Nick Foles is doing all right, but I think we're seeing that defense return back to form and I think that's what's gonna carry them if they're gonna have continue to have success this year. Yeah, I going to agree. Um
1: moving on from there we had the Bengals and the Colts. This one was a really interesting game. Um I think one of the more interesting games of the week. Uh, this game started out, Joe Burrow started killing it. Um, the entire Bengals was just on all cylinders. They came out and they came to a league in the second quarter, uh, 21-0. And from there, the, the wheels kind of fell off, off the train. The Colts went up 21 in the second quarter and then 10 in the fourth. And over that span, the Bengals don't really able to acquire an extra three points. Uh, mixing got injured. Um, but you know, at the start again, the Bengals were really rolling at the beginning. Um, but then they, it kind of fell apart all of a sudden. Yeah. This, Colts, this Colts defense, I think, is, is really incredible. And I think, you know, they kind of had a lapse in maybe the first half of the game. But, you know, the second half of the game, they really showed what this Colts defense is about. In my opinion, I think the Colts have the best defense in the
2: NFL as a whole right now. And I think it really showed in that second half. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. Although, based on what the, the games happened this week, I might disagree with that based off just one of the whole game performances. But, um, and that, that that Colts defense, honestly, obviously, is really really good. And I mean, as far as the game goes, there's not a whole lot I can say about it besides it. I didn't watch that carefully, but it's just really interesting how the Bengals they able to jump out to that lead so early, and the Colts came back. I, I was it was it mainly due to, like to Philip Rivers playing terrible? or What was it? Just was the whole team in a funk? I think that whole team was in a funk to be honest, because Rivers finished with three touchdowns and interceptions, so
1: like not great at first. But I think I just think the entire team was kind of in a funk at first.
2: It, it was no one really expected that right out the gate, Yeah, I, I thought the Colts would only allow one score and that was it. Which they did in the second half but still not consistent. So, yeah, we'll see where this team goes. I feel like there's a decent amount of inconsistency with this team. Their defense is really good but then some games Phillip Rivers holds his own some games he doesn't. It's it just really weird. It kind of, it's one of those teams I feel like it's kind of in that no man's land where, like we don't know where they're really, really going to be. Yeah, I,
1: honestly just just really weird game right there but again, the Colts came out on top. The Colts are a really good team as I said I really think they're that one quarterback away from right. from really becoming maybe Super Bowl contenders because how good the defense has been so far. Right. Um, so moving on from there, we had the uh, Browns and the Steelers. Uh, complete blow here by the Steelers. The Browns kind of blew it. Uh, this Steelers team is really rolling. Um, in my opinion, they're, they're the way they're shaped out. They're one of the best teams in the NFL. The fact that they're five and zero. I think their roster is, you know, it's decently talented. But I don't think they're incredible anywhere, really. Um, I think they're good all around. It's really incredible to see them do this well, especially with how old Ben Roethlisberger has been. He just came a year off of injury. He's playing very well. Um, yeah, it's just, I don't know. The Steelers team is really killing it right now, in my opinion. They're probably a top three
2: to five team in the NFL right now. Yeah, I mean, the Steelers, I mean, they're, the thing about them is, like, they're we knew that coming into this year we or at least we thought it was gonna be mainly the defense carrying it, which their front seven is doing that. You guys you've got really great players like Bud Dupree, T J Watt, obviously, and then the defense that can stop the run as a whole, and then and then um in offense, like it's all it's not that great with Ben Roethlisberger playing because he's not you know the quarterback he used to be, but it's still they're serviceable in the sec if there's one area on the team I'd be concerned with, it's secondary, but I mean, they seem to be picking it up everywhere else. And talking about the Browns, also, I mean, it's it's really disappointing for them. It's just one of those games that we thought, okay, they're four and one, they're looking really pretty, pretty good, and they could come out and make a huge statement and be competitive. And they just don't. Baker Mayfield looks horrible. The offense just doesn't do anything. You got to think that this force you to to back off the Browns and like think, wow, this team really is not that good after all. I
1: mean, yeah, I I agree. Like this Browns team, they they got hot. And I think if they're going to be competitive in a playoff stance, they have to compete against a team like the Steelers, and they just didn't.
2: No, they, they, the thing is, they've beaten the the, um, what are the, teams? They have the Bengals, Washington. Mm-hmm. They beat the Cowboys. And last week, they beat the Colts, who we thought were a really good team, but then an even, an even bigger test against the Steelers. They just couldn't get it done, so I don't know what it is. <laughs> um, so moving on from there,
1: we have the Ravens and the Eagles. Ravens went 30-28. to Honestly, a lot closer game than I expected. This Eagles team seems to have a fight. I think this Eagles team, again, I just think that they're riddled with these injuries and they really can't put it together once once they're just so heavily riddled with their injuries. I was looking at their death chart. Because um, I just think, again, Eagles are this team that I continue to see. They just get these plethora of injuries. The only person that they have from their starting offensive line, I think, is Jason Kelsey at center. Or, I not even have it. No, they still have Jason Kelsey at center. Beyond that, they're at least at their second to third to even fourth string in some positions. And that's their offensive line. They don't have any of their starting large receiver core. Um, and they're still put up, able to put up a fight against the Ravens. So honestly, if I'm an Eagles fan, I'm not too upset by by this game. But if I'm a Ravens fan, I gotta say that we have to do better next time. Um, you know, it shouldn't be that competitive a game, especially in the fourth quarter the Ravens fell apart. Uh, they gave up 22 points in the fourth quarter. You know, they, were, they were pretty much dominating the entire game. So, um, you know, the, the defense, Ravens' defense, if they're going to is a bullish Bowl this year, they're going to really come over that edge that they, they faced last year. um, Their defense is going to have to show up
2: against teams like the Eagles. Yeah. I mean, if you talk about the Eagles, just one of those things with the same story every week, they're just injured. Carson Wentz, not the same quarterback he used to be. And, you know, they still play. And now it's even worse that, that Zach Ertz and Miles Sanders got their top running backs out. Now they're top two tight ends. Dallas Goddard's already been out. Now you put Carson Wentz, I mean, Excuse me, Zach Ertz out. I don't know how this team's even going to compete. They might even lose to the Giants this week, who are obviously a terrible team. As we've been saying the past few weeks, I don't know if they have enough to really compete with them, which is crazy. But somehow they put up a fight with the with the Ravens, who I don't their defense is good. But is this why? I think it's one of those things with the Ravens with Lamar Jackson? I part of me kind of saw coming because with the way he had such a, with the season he had last year, you know, historic seasons like that are so rare to repeat. I thought coming out of the gate that Lamar would struggle a little bit. We saw it last year with Patrick Mahomes out of the Mm -hmm. gate. He didn't do as well. So, I mean, I don't think it's the cause of panic yet for Ravens fans, but I think what it does go to show is like it's really tough to sustain um, record performances year by year, and that's what we're seeing. But they should be fine, and I think they'll win that division pretty easily. Yeah, I definitely agree. And It it comes down to the fact that when NFL coaches have a whole offseason
1: to game prep for a single player, they can do so. You know game, football is a lot of X's and O's, and you know, Lamar Jackson, as great as he is athletically and as a quarterback from what we've seen last year, um, the X's and O's can help solve that. It doesn't completely negate him, right? The Ravens are still five and one, but uh, as you said, to have a historical season again is, is nearly impossible. But right. uh, the Ravens should win out to the division. Um, moving off from there, we have the Lions and the Jaguars. Uh, really no surprise here, the Lions won at 34 to 16. I really feel like there's not much to talk about here other than. Gardner Minshew did not have a great performance. The Jaguars are still a terrible franchise, and it seems like the Jaguars rumors are coming out that they're they're hinting towards moving to another quarterback. If they get the first pick, they will go with Trevor Lawrence. Um, not totally unexpected. We'll have to see where the Jaguars land, but uh, honestly, not a surprise here. The Jaguars are a terrible team. The Lions aren't a great team, but they're good enough to beat the Jaguars.
2: Yeah. I honestly think both teams here are pretty terrible, but it just one team had to win. And I thought the Lions would just because um, it, it just some of those situations where um. Well, I mean what, what am I even saying it's just what I want to say is like the Jaguars you know performances week one week two look like a fluke at this point Gardner Minshew you know seemed like a good player at the time and he still probably is he's just not the answer he's never gonna be Mahomes he's never gonna be Lamar Jackson he never, he'll never be Kyler Murray he'll never be any of those big time quarterbacks that you want he's just not the guy for the future we're seeing now with this team going back down to the bottom where they probably belong and and for the Lions you know good for them to get a win against a pretty bad jacks team but i just don't i, I still don't think they're any good it just finally they have to play, play a bad team that they couldn't lose to mm-hmm. i totally agree there um moving on from there
1: we had the broncos and patriots this one was a really interesting game um the broncos went 18 to 12 cam newton did not look like his typical self he had two interceptions. the The Bears defense really held that Patriots offense down. Um, and the Patriots are sitting at two and three in some of the Broncos right now. And I don't know uh, this Patriots team. They, they looked really well off the start, and I think between COVID and now this little bit of a slump uh, in terms of this one game, it should be interesting to see where they go from here. Uh, you know, obviously, this team is heavily relying on Cam Newton inter- to fill Tom Brady's void. Well, you know, not do the exact same things that he's doing, but They'll be able to keep this team, team competitive, and if he can't do that, then I don't see a Patriots team where they make the playoffs as good as Bill Belichick is. But, uh, you know, losing to a team like the Broncos right now is not a good sign with, obviously, Drew Locke. They're not with they're without Drew Locke, uh, without... um, would Drew Locke played yesterday, did you say that? Did he? Oh, yeah, he, did he? He played yesterday. Oh, my God, I, I forgot. <laughs> my bad. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Drew Log just came back off an of injury. And it's still, still, the whole team's hurt. Yeah, the whole team is pretty banged up. Bob um, Miller, obviously still out. A banged-up Broncos team, and they have not performed exceptionally well across the board. And if the Patriots can't beat a team like that, I really can't see it. They may not even make the playoffs, honestly.
2: I mean, I don't think—I never thought they would from the beginning of the season. I, all, I started to believe they might more when they started competing with the Chiefs and Seahawks. And I still think there's a chance they could, honestly, because— when you look at the situation from an objective point of view, it, this is a team that has almost no talent. They, they're they really, really thin in every position. And and also, they're rusty from coming off of COVID. Cam, is um he was on the COVID list. He's been out for a while. And I feel like when you have the talent to back it up in a situation like that, which is the case for a certain team we're going to talk about here in a little bit, probably, the Patriots don't have that because they just don't. And I don't think... When, for as good of a coach as Bill Belichick is, when this, when you have that little at your disposal, it'll be tough for anyone to win. And I think we saw that yesterday with the Patriots just looking flat. And I don't think it's anyone's fault. I just think it's a matter of circumstance. And it's surprising. I thought they'd go out there and win. But it's just one of those things that I can't blame anybody on that team because it just it was just a terrible situation for them. And if if they regain their health and they can get back on track, they can get more conditioned and ready for games, I think they have a good chance to. I think they, if you if, – if they were that way in this game, I think they would have won by a lot, but they weren't. And so I I wouldn't give up on the Patriots yet. I feel, still think they can make playoffs. I will go as far to say, say though, I definitely do not think they'll win the division.
1: Yeah, I, I think the Bills pretty much have that in the bag. Um, yeah, I totally forgot Lock played. I'd say you can tell it's midterm season. But uh, <laughs> they had two interceptions, no touchdowns. Not a great game for him. Yeah, another great game offensively for either team. Yeah, um so moving on from there, we had the Jets and Dolphins. Uh pretty big blowout here for the Dolphins. They went up 24 nothing and then they um they brought in Tua and he played a little bit. Um nothing really to talk about in terms of Tua, but uh you know, it's, it's good to see him back with football after having that pretty big leg injury last year. Um but yeah, this Jets team uh first of all this this let's start with the Dolphins. The Dolphins, I've performed pretty well. Obviously, it is the Jets, but the mm-hmm. Dolphins destroyed the 49ers last week, and then they have another twenty four hour game here. And despite how, you know the 49ers not being the best team, the Jets not being a great team, I think it sh- has showed a lot about this team and how, how they're turning in that right direction uh, behind Brian Flores. Um, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick has played very well. He's he's really in Fitz Magic mode right now, and he seemed very encouraging of Tua. I just I just love this Dolphins team, and I, I love the, w- the way they're trending. I think they have a really good core of guys. I think you know st- they still need some talent on that roster, some superstar talent. I think they're missing that. Um, but again, I like the way they're trending, and they've been playing very well. And if you're a Dolphins fan, it's something to be excited about. On the Jets, on the other hand, um, and this this ties in with the only pre- pretty much piece of news outside of the games this week, um, the Jets, uh, prior, to the, um, had released, prior to this game, had released uh, Le'Veon Bell. Um, after not finding a trade partner for him, it's such an interesting situation because you guys remember all the way back to when they signed him to that massive contract, Adam Gase pretty much came out publicly and said, I never wanted to sign him. I don't want him on the team. Um, you know, just one of the many, 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 many reasons to fire Adam Gase and the Jets were reluctant to do so. Um, and then from there, he has not performed well. He's been injured. And when he is healthy, hasn't had great games, uh, You know, partially, I guess, because the fit wasn't right. uh, But I say more so because that Jets line is pretty terrible. Um, And it just never really worked out. So the Jets said, you know, we need to cut our losses um, before we can't get anything for him. They attempted to trade him for a late-round pick, possibly. Nobody was really biting, so they wound up releasing him. And I think within a day or two, he wound up siding with the Kansas City Chiefs for a million dollars, which is a pretty big steal for the Chiefs. It's kind of the rich get richer type of situation. I don't think the Chiefs really need him. I don't think he's really going to change their offense incredibly. But uh, that, that backfield between Cl- Clyde Edwards-Helaire and Le'Veon Bell now is, is going to be pretty incredible, and we'll get to be able to see it hopefully on display tonight. I don't think Le'Veon Bell will take that many snaps tonight because I don't
2: think he's even playing.
1: Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think he's going to play tonight. Or, or if he does, um, it's going to be really limited snaps. He is. He is fresh off IR one, and then B. Obviously, he just got on the team, so he probably doesn't know the plays and, and how to read. But, you know, he'll pick it up quickly. Um, but just that, that back that backfield is going to be pretty insane moving forward. Um, but on the Jets' type of, uh, uh, side of things, uh, this team has been pretty abysmal across the board. Uh, Joe Flacco has not been great for the Jets because Sam Darnold is still out. Um, Jamal Adams is obviously off the team. This Jets team is just kind of in disarray. They've lost all their talent. Their starting quarterback they were hoping was going to take a leap However, this year is out on injury, and he wasn't performing well when he was in their head coach is terrible just from top down this team is a mess um brian do you want to say anything
0: um i pretty much say the same thing every week so you guys can just talk about it
2: fair enough i'm going to take a little bit of time well actually first i'm going to talk about the dolphins as i kind of same story last week you know it's just one of those teams where this team is slowly but surely going in the right direction you know and they haven't beat any good teams yet really but with the way they're they're trending up, the way they're trending upwards, we can see because I think it all starts with one of those things where the bad teams we play, we have to beat them handily, and I think we're they're doing just that. They beat the Jaguars by a lot. Beat the 40, they killed the 49ers last week, and now they get another easy win against the Jets, and it just shows that this franchise truly is improving. And they're not obviously they're not gonna they're not a good team yet. I wouldn't say, and they're not gonna only level winning record, but they're they're getting up there slowly but surely. So it you know, would all good things in Miami. And for the Jets, I as you know, we say the same story every week, so I'm not really going to talk much about that. But just, I'm, I will talk about the on Bell thing. It's, it just seems so weird how, not really weird, just seems, obviously the whole releasing of him just goes to show what a, just show the state of their franchise. But it's just one of those things where if you're going to release him, why do you do it now? Why do you take on dead cap in the middle of the season? Because you're already, you're at the time, they're owned 5 And they're not going to make the playoffs, obviously. And why do you just wait till the keep cut your, not even cut your losses, just keep him on the team because you might as well, and cut him in the offseason. That makes much more sense than doing it in the middle of the season. Yeah, I totally agree. It was such a
1: weird move to cut him right now. And it must have been a growing rift, I think. That would be my hunch.
2: Something happened during the week. Yeah, something had to have happened. And, like, Brian, you put him in the Jet universe. Yeah. There was some social media thing so that
0: happened. After after um, last week's game... Le'Veon Bell started liking tweets about um, him not being used enough and that Adam Gase is using him wrong. And then Adam Gase was asked about it and he said they didn't like how players go to Twitter, which I totally agree on. I also said that, but um, it was obvious that it was getting to a point that it was just like, what's the point of having him on our team anymore? They're not doing good. He's not doing good. And Adam Gase and Le'Veon Bell are just making for a terrible locker room situation And to have a coach be a part of, like, having a bad locker room situation, that just continues to show how bad Adam Gase is as a coach.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I agree with you. I mean, I think everybody looks bad in the situation. The players are – Le'Veon in this situation, he's immature to go on Twitter like that, although a lot of players do it. I still don't think it's a grown-up thing. Mm -hmm. Just, like, if any problems, just try to keep it away from the media as much as possible. Mm -hmm. But, like, it just goes to show the The Jets are, as we've said, a terrible franchise, and it just – Week after week after week, we see it. So but nobody looks good in, situ- in this situation. So that's all it really comes down to, in my opinion.
0: Just quickly speaking on Le'Veon Bell, I mean, it's starting to come to the point where maybe the Steelers had a reason to not want to sign him for any more money right. than they did because mm-hmm. exactly he's turning into a distraction to teams. Right? Yeah,
2: it's one of those things. That, I was not on the, the Sport Universe at that time, but right. in the 2018 season, I've been talking about when I'm. Um, how much Mike Tomlin needed to be fired. He'd lost the locker room, blah, blah. It looks more and more clear nowadays. It just he had to deal with the, that Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown really with yeah, right. that case to the team, and it wasn't really him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, 100%. It, it could not be any clearer at this point.
1: <laughs> when it comes to players like Antonio Brown or Le'Veon Bell, at the end of the day, they're not, they're not quarterbacks. They're not players that, that are central to teams. They actually help you win. Don't get me wrong when you have that level of talent. But if they're not essential like a quarterback or whatever whatever piece you want to label as essential um, to these teams that are already pretty decent, it's easy to cut their ties. You know, Le'Veon Bell, yes, he made the Steelers better f- from a running back's perspective, but it doesn't mean they can't win without him. And If he's going to draw back, if the entire focus on the team is going to be media attention because Le'Veon Bell said X, Y, and Z, then they're better right off getting rid of him because he's going to be bad for the entire team in terms of the locker
2: room situation. He's going to distract from the football that they're trying to play. I mean, in my opinion, whether you're a quarterback, head coach, general manager, whatever, I don't think you can be I don't think anyone can justify keeping you on a team when you're that toxic to the organization. One hundred percent. Moving on from there, we had the Falcons and the Vikings. Um,
1: this game is pretty interesting. Uh, the Falcons bounce back big after firing Dan Quinn, and you know, forty-eight to twenty-three victory. All I can say is it's it's pretty obvious that I think Dan Quinn was was. Part of the big issue, the Falcons, Um, as we talked about last week, they may not be as talented as a Super Bowl team, but they still have a good amount of talent to be able to compete. And it seems like Dan Quinn was not a either being innovative enough, or b just he doesn't really have the team's support anymore. Um, And it shows, I think, you know, being able to put forty points up on the on the Vikings, who you know aren't a terrible team, they're still decent. Um, I think it really goes to show, like, that the coach, you know, when you talk about. Matt you talk about all the time is like from top to down that's really how you got to build your teams and I, I totally agree with that um, no matter what t- amount of talent the Falcons had if they didn't have the right hand coach in place and nobody was believing in the head coaches and what and what he was pushing forth then the team's just not going to play
2: well and I think getting rid of him was a really good move for the Falcons yeah honestly I think this move set I mean this game says more about the Vikings than the Falcons because you know for the Falcons number one their offense has been pretty good they put up 39 points on the, Falc- on the Cowboys uh, and um, mm. what else? Um, oh, yeah, and they also... Wait, hold on. They scored f- almost 40 points against the Cowboys, and they mm. also had, like, over f- Matt Ryan had over 450 yards against the Seahawks. So this team is clearly good enough to put uh, up numbers on offense, mm. and they did that yesterday. But for the Vikings, it's just one of those situations where you come out the week, the week before, you do really well against the Seahawks, who are a top-three team in the NFL, I think most people would agree, then you do that against the Falcons. It just goes to show, I think, just a lot of inconsistency. And honestly, I don't. I haven't watched the team closely enough to know if it's on Kirk Cousins, if it's on the head coaching. I mean, I, and I think it's the true summer in the middle, obviously, because Kirk Cousins is not really that quarterback that will elevate a team. But also just the way the team as a whole has played. Like, one week, like, again, like, like last week, they played well against the Seahawks. They almost beat the Titans. Then they... Crumble against the Colts and then against the Falcons, they look terrible early on. And you know, I coming into the game yesterday, I thought I was going to say I thought the team was probably the best one in four team in the league. And, and I, I was, I mean, I believe that they are still a decent team, but they are one in five. So I don't know what it is.
1: Yeah, I couldn't tell um, either. I just think again, the Falcons fired Dan Quinn. Good move. Uh, a little bit of improvement right off the bat to see if it lasts. Uh, moving on from there, we had the Packers and the Buccaneers. Really interesting game here. Uh, Buccaneers went it thirty-eight to ten. Buccaneers came firing out the gate. Um, I think Aaron. I think this one honestly is on Aaron Rodgers. He threw two picks. He threw a pick six, and then he threw uh, a pick like I think on the next drive where they ran it back to like the two yard line, um, and it put the the Buccaneers up really quickly. And then from there, the Buccaneers just kind of controlled the game. Um, when you're playing against Tom Brady, if you give him in the position to manage a game in terms of, you know, you give the defense two touchdowns or put him in position to score on offense, then I think there's not a single better quarterback in the NFL that can manage games than Tom Brady. Um, it's just, you know, the Packers really shot themselves in the leg here, in my opinion. Um, you know, the Packers, the Packers are still one of the best teams in the NFL, don't get me wrong, but um, this Buccaneers team showing why they're one of the better teams in the NFL um, and even beyond Tom Brady, I think more to talk about is this Buccaneers defense. They're, they're, they're. I think they're the real deal. And although, you know, I think they lost Vita Vea for possibly the year um, during this game, and they wound up trading, I forget who it was for the Jets for like a seventh rounder and a Jets defensive tackle. I forgot his name to replace him right away. Um, again, I think this Buccaneers defense oh, is the real um, deal.
0: Bechtin. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I forgot, forgot his first
1: I, name. I, I forgot his name. Um, who are we talking about? I'm sorry. He's like a he was a veteran for the Jets. Um, they
0: just traded him. Not a good trade, but oh, Mackay <laughs> Becton.
1: Oh no, Mekhi Mekhi, Becton. Um, Steve McLendon. Oh yeah, Steve McLendon. I
0: was say, Mekhi
1: Becton's the offensive yeah. line. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you got to kind of confuse there. Um, yeah, Steve McLendon They wound up trading for him to replace Vito Vea. Um. Yeah, again, I just think this Buccaneers defense is the real deal, and uh, you know Gronk got back into the game yesterday. He had a touchdown. For, I think it's his first ta- touchdown since returning from his uh, from his retirement. So this Buccaneers team is really trending upwards, and uh, this Packers team kind of got stumped right
2: off the gate. And I think the Buccaneers kind of controlled the game from there. Yeah, honestly, I think the main. I was surprised with this game that the fact that the Buccaneers won by so much, but I would say that like, the main story of the game. I mean, Aaron Rodgers made those bad decisions early uh-huh. on, throwing those interceptions, but I think. That, Buccaneers defense was the main was the main story here because not only were the Packers stifled, they were shut down. They couldn't get anything going, mm-hmm. and not not in the run game, not the pass game. It just and I don't think the Buccaneers even have that great of a secondary, but their front seven was just so dominant. If they play like that, that might be the best defense in the NFL. They can sustain that. It's a pretty tough loss for them to lose I'm not gonna lie, but uh, McLendon
1: is, is talked about pretty highly from Jets from Jets fans. So um, he was one I of think was, captains. Yeah, he's um, one of he's one of the captains, and they so, him away. and they traded him away for a sixth round pick, essentially. So, right. um, again, I don't think another great decision there by the Jets. But he is 34, so in fact, the Jets got any value out of him at all is pretty decent. I think is it's more or less a one win trade because the Jets aren't going anywhere, and it gives them the Buccaneers a decent replacement. So, um, kind of an interesting move there. But again, this Buccaneers team, uh, their defense is really shining, and want to see they keep going. Uh, Next game we had the Los Angeles Rams versus the 49ers. Um, Final score was 24 to 16. The 49ers won it. Um, You know this game was kind of interesting. It wasn't really high scoring. I couldn't really tell what it is. Uh, The 49ers defense sort of stumped the the Los Angeles Rams. And I think on the offensive side, um, you know, when I look at the when every time I look at the Rams, my second player player in the NFL behind Saquon is Aaron Donald. Uh, The way that they game plan Aaron Donald in terms of passion, because. If you guys remember last week, Aaron Donald had four sacks. Um, so it was really imperative. When, you, when One player gets four sacks, and it's from the defensive tackle spot. Um, I, I mean, I don't even have to talk up Aaron Donald. Everyone knows how great he is. Um, one of the greatest pass rushers we've ever seen. Um, being able to stump him is, is really important, and I think the the 49ers did a good job watching a little bit of this game. Uh, the way that they game-planned him, and they, they basically like an offset double team. You'd have like the guard uh, step take a step in, Angle uh, it or the center like take a step in and they'd angle basically Aaron Donald in the double teams on pass rushes where you have to go through like two levels of offensive alignment and it was pretty effective in slowing down Aaron Donald in my opinion but uh yeah but uh, looking at this game more empirically you know good win for the 49ers, but it was clear that uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is still injured um he, he but he's getting better like last week he hardly had any weight on his back foot now he's putting a little bit more and he's he's getting there but uh he's still not where he needs to be. Um, if this 49ers is gonna be as good as they were last year. Um, you know, he's a he's a pretty big part of, of this 49ers team. Um so
2: we'll have to see where they go from here, but uh you know, pretty I'd say it's a pretty big win for the 49ers. Yeah, I this is a huge win for them. I think this is goes to so a lot about their coaching. You know, they are regaining their health, and I think Chris Collinsworth honed in on the point you made about Jimmy Gropko's leg. He because um Last week, as we saw, he barely put any weight on it. This week, he was able to do a little better, although not where he, he quite needs to be. So I think that definitely made a difference. But I think the defensively, was, the story was the game. The story of the game was the 49ers' defense. They shut down the Rams. And I want to talk about um, Jason Verret because he's a player who had he's been injured for a lot of his career, but he's so talented, and he proved that yesterday. Just a shame that a guy like that couldn't stay healthy. I think he was a player, the single most player I was impressed with more mm-hmm. than anyone in that game. In my opinion,
1: mm-hmm. totally. Uh, so, moving on from there, we had uh, final two games of the week. We're going to go to, I guess, my team first. We had the the uh, team football team in Washington and the New York Giants. Uh, the Giants wind up winning at 22 19. Um, as a Giants fan, I'm not overly excited about this game. You know, the Washington football team, the Jets, and the Giants, pretty much the worst teams in the NFL, in my opinion. Those are probably the bottom three. And the fact that Miller beat them 20-19 is a little unimpressive, unimpressive, in my opinion. We should have done better. Um, I think the story of this game, in my opinion, was uh, James Bradbury and like Logan Ryan were really good for the Giants. Their pass coverage was insane. Um, Bradbury, I think, had two picks, and Logan Ryan was pretty shut down. A pretty good sign for the Giants' secondary. Uh, Daniel Jones ran for like a, six, a 40-yard run, which is pretty incredible. Um, but this game was just... Like, I'm happy we finally got a win. We're 1-5. Whoop-de-doo. But it's just – it's tough considering the fact that it was – we only won 20-19 against arguably the worst team in the NFL. Um, now, I guess it's a start, and we're going to see how we do next week. But um, we play Thursday next week against the Eagles, and if we beat the Eagles and the Cowboys lose tonight and the Cowboys lose next week, we'll be tied for first in the <laughs> NFL. All uh, right, then the NFL.
2: Oh, my God. Then a feast. Yeah. <laughs> Good, that's crazy to think of. But my question is, you I know, mean, obviously the game itself, ugly game. I think we expected that. Neither mm-hmm. team is any good. But my question is for you personally: Do you want the Giants to keep winning games, or do you want to go into the tank train for Trevor Lawrence?
1: You See, I definitely wanted them to lose. That's why I'm upset. Like, if we're gonna, if we're going to be a team like Washington, we either gotta blow them out, make a statement, and really make a comeback in this season because we right. have the opportunity to do so with how bad the NFC East is. We can't like, we can't like half and half it. We can't be a mediocre team. It gets us nowhere. Right, you know. Yeah, no. So I, I just, yeah. I hope, I hope we do. If, if, if we're only going to beat the Washington twenty to nineteen, I really
2: hope we do lose from here on out. Honestly, because yeah, it would help our, our, our draft stock. Yeah, I would definitely. If I were you, I'd probably be. I'd definitely be on that tank train. It just, you guys need to find figure out a direction. Are you going to try to win games again? Game? Like three or four games a year doesn't really work.
1: No, no, it's just tough. Um, so moving on from there, we have my favorite game of the week personally, and I'm sure it was uh max is two we had the titans and the texans the titans won 42 to 36. um i caught a decent amount of this game and let me say it was very incredible um starting off with the texans you know they had just fired bill o'brien um instant improvement in my opinion they're playing a lot better um under their interim head coach and i forgot his name romeo cannell romeo cannell thank you um you know i, I think the team believes in cannell a little bit more than they did bill o'brien um you know not perfect but at the same time, they are going against the Titans, who, so in my opinion, um, New Max talks about this a little bit. Usually uh, a top-five team in the NFL at this point. Um, so, again, on the Texans' side of things, I think you played really well. Dude. You shouldn't be ashamed. You know, you're know, ha- you under an interim head coach. Um, you know, I don't think he played it perfectly because I remember he went for that two-point try. They probably shouldn't have. Um, but I guess you, you live and you learn it as an as interim head coach, right? It's his first game. I wouldn't put too much on him. But the fact that the Texans played so much better is really positive. And it shows, like again, top down from top down management. You got you got to make sure you have all the right stuff in place. Um, and between the Texans and the Falcons, getting rid of their head coaches showed instant improvement, in my opinion, on both teams. Um, and it goes to show, like how, how much a, a bad head coach or GM can really hold back a franchise. Um, but you know, going from the Texans moving as the Titans, this team is incredible. Um, that their ability to fight back and be resilient in some of the really tough games and really tough spots is really encouraging. This Titans team, in my opinion, is probably the dark horse for the Super Bowl super winners. And it's, it's hard to say dark horse because, you know, look, they're undefeated at this point, right? Like, you know, they're 5-0. and it's, it's hard to say they're a dark horse at this point. It's just that when everyone thinks Super Bowl, they're thinking Ravens, uh, Chiefs. But this Titans team is just incredible um, across the entire board. You know, the defense didn't great great uh, yesterday. But, again, the fight in the entire team is incredible. And let me talk about Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry, um, you know, he's, he's a one-on-one type of running back. Um, he, he was kind of slow coming out of college out of Alabama, but I think he's, he slowly picked it up and picked it up and picked it up, and we saw an explosion from him last year. And I think uh, you're going to continue to see it from here on out. Um, yeah, this, his dominance is incredible. His combination of speed and power, and, and you know, he, I can't talk about him enough. I just, in my opinion, he's by far the best running back in the NFL, and it's not even close. I'm sorry to CMC and CMC fans, but
2: uh, Derrick Henry is is King Henry in my opinion. I don't know if I go as far as say, but Derrick Henry, because I think McCaffrey, and even I'd say like Saquon Camara is still better, like because I think they're more well-rounded players. But anyway, just talking about the Titans, I mean or the game itself yesterday. I'm gonna also talk a little bit about the the game on Tuesday against the Bills. So you know, I'm gonna set the situation for you. We we were coming out and after the COVID break, some absences due to COVID and other injuries. Team barely practiced in two weeks. We have all this drama about we're going to get punished because we broke COVID rules that practicing at Montgomery Bell Academy in Nashville um, two weeks or three weeks ago, I should say. And then just come out like that. We were supposed to get destroyed by the Bills. Maybe not, maybe not supposed to, but it was definitely possible. I thought we would potentially get blown out and to come out like that, we blow them out themselves. It just show, goes show a lot about this team and how, how much character they have, how well coached they are. They're disciplined. All, everything all around it against the Texans come out on fire and we go, go down late in the game. But it just, and it was, it was kind of sad because we had more penalties needed. We were losing the turnover differential, which was really rare for us. But anyway, we're down 36-29 at the very end of the game. I can't remember how quite how much time we had to drive down the field, but we do it. And it just goes to show how this team, they don't, they don't win pretty football, they're not. They may. It may look tough at times, but they're winners because they come back. They fight to the last little bit, and no matter what happens, they're never down. And they know how to win in those tough situations. And it's it's playoff football at its finest. And that's why I think this team really is a contender for the Super Bowl. It's, you know, I might look biased saying that, but I really think they are. You know, as, as much as people want to talk about Derrick Henry, don't forget Ryan Tannehill. He had he played a great game Tuesday and then yesterday. He throws 364 yards, I believe it was, and he he throws a game tying touchdown to AJ Brown, who's looking really really good after his injury. And this team looks really really solid all around. I I'm excited for the game against Steelers. I'm excited to see what they can do for the rest of the year because I it looks things look really good right now.
1: Yeah, as I said, I'm, I'm so high on the Titans right now, and Derek Henry just you know hundred he's at, right now. Derek Henry's averaging 117 yards a game, which is just like incredible. Um you know, two hundred and twelve yards on the ground yesterday is definitely nothing to, to fret about. Well, I just think like he's so dominant. That's what makes him so good. Um so, like I and definitely I just, say like like I guess I guess CMC and like Saquon might be a little bit more well rounded, but just you know, from like pound to pound and I think north and south, I don't think we've seen a running back kinda like Derrick Henry
2: in quite some time. One yeah, of my my friend who's actually my roommate here at school, he he is not he doesn't really think Derrick Henry's that great because he says that he he's not a great pass catching weapon, which is true. I, I gave the argument, like, he's so tough, he, he's big, and he gets 200 yards a game, and he's mm-hmm. had those games, and he's like, that's true, but with the Titans' offensive line, you know, I expect him to get about 200 yards a game, and I just think to myself, okay, well, like, is that the assessment to how good he actually is, the fact that you expect 200 yards a game from him, which is I such know. an unrealistic task?
1: <laughs> I mean, all I could say is the way that uh, Derrick Henry threw J- Josh Norman, I just feel like that... Just, <laughs> That's enough said right there. <laughs> I agree, honestly. Like just how tough he is. Oh, yeah. to take down. Yeah. So moving on from there, we have our final two games of the week, which haven't been played yet. Um, first, we have today at five. Uh, today's Monday, the nineteenth. With the Chiefs and the Bills, um, and then at eight fifteen tonight, we have the Cardinals and Cowboys. Uh, picking, I'm going to go with the Chiefs over the Bills by a small margin. It's going to be a pretty close game. And then I'm hoping for a blowout by the Cardinals. Uh, hopefully they destroy the Cowboys because uh, screw the Cowboys. Um, but also, I think the Cardinals are probably the better team right now, especially without Dak. It uh, should be interesting to see how the Cowboys perform with Dalton. Honestly, I don't think Dalton's too big of a downgrade, right? Dalton's probably one of the better backups in the league, so, uh, you know, he, he played pretty well when he did come in for Dak last
2: week, so we'll have to see uh, how he does with the entire game. Yeah, I I would agree for the early game. And I as we're filming this, it is 446, so we had just... Mm-hmm. Like 14, 15 minutes before kickoff, so we can make our predictions. So I will I will say I agree. I think the Chiefs are going to win it because when I, when I think of the matchup, I think, okay, you have know, both teams, both great offenses. Defense aren't great, and they're not – I mean, the Bills have a good defense talent-wise. They're not playing that great right now. So I think the Chiefs probably in a 38-34 game. we okay, the good. Cardinals-Cowboys this game. Um, I think this one could go either way. But I, did, I would go with the Cardinals because I think, I believe in Kyler Murray and also the Cowboys, inconsistent, not a good defense.
0: Oh, oh. no. Oh, Max is out for a second. <laughs> Max disconnected. <laughs> I think he's back now. Okay, yeah.
2: <laughs> All right. Do to start talking about the Cardinals-Cowboys again? Yeah, just keep going. Um. Okay, so as far as the Cardinals-Cowboys game goes... I would go with the Cardinals by a small margin. I think go either way. I personally believe in Kyler Murray, although he's been a little bit inconsistent. But The Cowboys have honestly been worse. Their secondary is really bad, and although they prove they could keep with the Seahawks, they just, just they just they don't seem to put it together. And they struggled against the Giants last week, so I'd go with them probably in a 31, 36 to thirty-one game. I think I, I agree with you, Nick. I don't think Andy Dalton's a huge downgrade from Dak Prescott, but a little bit nonetheless. I think that plays a difference. I think the Cardinals just edge them out. Uh, yeah. And with that being said, that concludes
1: the NFL. Um, Max is going to take over the NHL real quick, and then he's got to go. So go ahead,
2: yes. Yeah. All right. I don't. I will say, coming into this segment, I am not going to be able to cover free agency as I said last week. I've had a lot of. I've had a lot of work to do today, and and also it's probably a good thing that I haven't yet because there are still a few players have that have not signed yet. So. If it's not by next Monday, I will cover it then because at that point we'll have waited long enough. But anyway, I'm going to talk about um, some a few moves that were made. So I'm going to first talk about Islanders trading Devon Taves to the Avalanche for two second-round picks. That was actually happening as we were doing the podcast last week, but I didn't get to talk about it then. So when I first saw this move, I was a little bit surprised. I, I think Taves, he's not a great player, but a solid player. He's a good he's pretty good for the Islanders, help their defensive depth as they have one of the best defensive cores in the league. And although when I look at this trade, I look at their cap friendly page, and I look at what they need. I think it's a good trade because they defenses obviously lead to their issues. And they have to sign re Matt Barzell, which is of utmost importance, and Ryan Pulak. And even as of right now, they still have enough to make both moves. So for them, trading Taze was honestly necessary because it was a good opportunity because he's a restricted free agent and they' I, there was no way they are going to realistically be able to sign him, Barzal, and Pulak. So they got to move him. I really like this for the Avs a lot because I talk about Taves. He's a pretty um, solid player. And when you look at their, the moves their roster made in the span of um, from Saturday to that Monday, they traded Nikita Zadoroff to the Blackhawks, lost that third-pairing defenseman. Then they effectively replaced them with um, Devon Taves, who I believe is a better player. So I think it's a really, really... At the end of it, really good asset management there by Joe Sakic, so good move for the Avalanche. I'd say they won the trade, but the Islanders had to make it. So Moving on, the other trade I want to talk about, the Golden Knights trading Nate Schmidt to the Vancouver Canucks for a third-round pick. And For the Knights, it was a necessary trade because they made a huge free agency signing that I'm sure most hockey fans know about. I'm going to talk about it next week, but they had to because I believe they were about I don't know how much over the cap they were but they were they were had i believe six million three somewhere from three million to six million over the cap so they had to make this move and plus it makes sense because he's a defenseman so before the canucks i really like this move a lot because before this move they didn't really have any great defenseman besides um Quinn hughes but now although schmidt's not a great defense but he's a pretty good defenseman i think he's he's good on the back end and he also pulls his weight offensively so now you get two solid defensemen back there. I think it's a huge upgrade for the Canucks. He's under contract long-term, which is really good for what they need because they need players that are going to help them play for the long haul and potentially win a cup with their current core. So I really like this for the Canucks. Definitely a win for them, but a necessary trade for the for Vegas. So another um, contract I want to talk about, Brendan Gallagher being re-signed by the Canadians. Let me pull up the... Um, I believe it was six years, six and a half million per year. Let me look up, yeah, that's what it was. And personally, I like to see a lot for the Canadians, although they're they didn't made they haven't made um some of the moves have been good, some of the moves have been bad. This one I think is a really good one. He puts up good stats. He last year 43 points in 59 games, definitely a top six forward. And if you um follow hockey, Brendan Gallagher is always talked about as that heart and soul kind of player for the Canadians. He's been there for a long time, he's a veteran. Now they have him back for even longer time. So I think this is a good move by Mark Berzervan um re him, which is which is um weird because it looked like for um as it said the day before they'd broken off contract negotiations, but they got him back. So just proof that you can't really trust um rumors like that, but they got him back, so good for the Canadians. Um and today is some tough news for those especially those who watch nhl on tv doc emmerich the legendary doc emmerich he's retiring from um, announcing hockey and if you'd watch um the nhl on nbc watch Stanley cup finals every year you know just how great this guy is like we're not talking about like yeah this guy's pretty good like this guy has been one of the best announcers in sports for a long time definitely hall of fame career and and understandable he was getting old and he, he'd done it for a long time He great career to, for him Sat. It's tough for the rest of the NHL community not getting to hear him anymore, not getting to hear him announce goals. It just listening. It, I can't even explain. It. Just listening to him, it was just a great, just so great for anyone who watch hockey. He was so exciting, and it's gonna be tough to see him go. So as far as who I think would replace him, I'd probably say either um Kenny Albert or um John Forslund, who are both I think really good announcers, and they both employed by NBC, although it'd probably be a little tougher for, um, John Forsgren since he's the play-by-play announcer for the Hurricanes, but, or they could also go for Mike Tirico because he, I don't think he has a full-time stint in any, bit as a play-by-play announcer, and they could look to bring him up. I think he'd be a good fit too because I like him as an announcer. But see what happens. Bottom line, though. tough to see Doc Emmerich um, re- um, retire.
0: Is that all the NHL news? Yeah, that's it. All right, well, we're going to say bye to Max.
2: All right, Good see everybody. Work. Thank you. Thank you, Max. See
0: ya. Okay, so we're going to go into baseball now. Obviously, the playoffs are still underway, and now we're getting into the World Series. But first, I'll do a recap of the championship series. Um, so, first off, the Dodgers ended up being the Braves 4-3, a seven-game series. Um, both both series were seven games. Um, Dodgers came back from being down 3-1, to um, for the Dodgers, their offense was really on display throughout the series, especially going against the Braves' um, rotation and bullpen, who have been insane this postseason. I think they're, both the rotation and the bullpen might have had a sub-1 ERA or something close to that. It was some crazy stat, but um, the Braves have definitely pitched really well this postseason, which goes along with their success. Um, but for the Dodgers, the Dodgers were able to break through that Braves um rotation and bullpen. Um coming back down from three one is obviously not an easy thing to do. Um, but we know what the Dodgers are and that's an insane lineup and they they were on display throughout the series. Uh in game seven Cody Bellinger had last night obviously, Cody Bellinger had a really clutch home run. Um the main thing I want to talk about in this series is the pitching for the Dodgers, which when I get into the World Series will probably be the main focus that I want to focus on. Um, so for the Dodgers, Julio Urias and Walker Buehler have pitched really well for them and continue to pitch well in the NLCS. But on the other side, Clayton Kershaw still is not pitching well. I think he has a 7.20 ERA in, a 7.20 ERA in the playoffs for the Dodgers. Um, which is obviously not good, and it's not like Clayton Kershaw had a bad uh, regular season. He had a very good regular season and was somewhat in the talks for Cy Young. Um, so obviously there's something with Clayton Kershaw and the playoffs. It's always been thought that there's something, and this continues to prove that that trend is an actual thing that Clayton Kershaw is subject to, um, which definitely puts a blimp in his resume um, as a all-time great pitcher. Um, but also for the Dodgers, it's something you have to look out for. And one of the key reasons that they haven't had success in past seasons because they relied heavily on Clayton Kershaw and he couldn't be there for them. But now they have Julio Urias, they have Walker Buehler. Obviously they had them last season, but in these playoffs they've both been really good. Julio Urias being, I'm pretty sure, the better of the two. I'm not sure what their the difference in ERAs are, but... Um, both have been outstanding, and one of the reasons that the Dodgers were able to come back in the series. Um, so that's basically it for the Dodgers Braves. Next up is Rays Astros. I'm pretty sure everyone was rooting for the Rays besides Astros fans. Maybe Yankee fans were somewhat rooting for the Astros, but there's still a definitely a big uh, conflict between those those two fan bases. But anyway, um, the Rays ended up beating the Astros in another seven game series. Astros made it close Um, once again. They proved to be a team throughout the playoffs that they know how to win in the playoffs for sure. And even though they didn't have a great regular season, they were really ready to take on any team. Um, A big thing for the Astros before I just talk about the race for the rest of this. Um, Carlos Correa turned into a really big leader on the Astros. Uh, I don't know when the video is from, but there was P... Went up to the pitcher. I don't know who the pitcher was, but he was very vocal to him, showing that he was taking on more of a leadership role. And I feel like for the Astros, it's really an us versus them mentality because everyone's against them. I, literally, everyone should be against them, but um, the Astros have each other's backs, and that could be another reason why in the playoffs they excelled. Um, and we're just, just like we're all in this together. We did. I don't. I'm sure they're accepting that they did something bad, but either way, they're behind each other and even if other teams come at them for what they did they'll have each other's back which is definitely a type of mentality that helps you through a regular season and playoffs um but now I want to talk about the Rays the Rays offense has honestly been struggling I was going through the stats of the teams there's maybe one player that has I think in a there's one player that has a 385 average I forgot who that player is um but everyone else has a 200 or below batting average I'm pretty sure let me just find it okay yeah um I don't know this I never heard of this guy but Jamon Choi um has an above 300 average and literally everyone else has a 250 or below average or something close to that so it really hasn't been the Rays offense that's been taking them throughout these playoffs and I think for anyone that watched the Rays during the regular season, it's always been their pitching. Um, and you see all the time teams g- play around their pitching and take them very far. Um, and that's what the Rays have been doing. They have Blake Snell, Charlie Morton, Zach Reinke, um, and then they have a really good bullpen. That proves to be their bullpen games, and they still win those games. Um, Charlie Morton has been the best out of every all of them, but Blake Snell and Zach Rinke are nothing to shy away to not talk about. I mean, they've been really good as well. But that brings me to the World Series predictions, and basically what I've been trying to say is that I expect the Dodgers to take the World Series. I think that's not a a lot of people would agree with me when I say the Dodgers are going to take the World Series. I think that the Dodgers and Rays kind of line up pitching-wise, except for Clayton Kershaw, um, who is weirdly starting Game 1. I guess it's just how it's worked out um, between pitching games and the rotation. But I think that's that's a risky move by the Dodgers for sure. But even if, let's say, Clayton Kershaw loses game one, I still expect the Dodgers to take it. I mean, like I said when I was talking about the Dodgers and the Braves, the Dodgers' offense has been on display um, and compared to the Rays' offense, which has not been on display. And if you cancel out the pitching, that leaves the better offensive team. And it kind of reminds me of, not to, I guess, I'm a Mets fan, so it's just going to remind me of things, but back in 2015, the Mets roster was centered around pitching, and their offense was okay. It was mediocre. It was nothing great. Um, And they had a few players that really took, made their offense somewhat um, usable in the playoffs. And it kind of reminds me of the Rays. They have a really good pitching staff. But when it comes to their offense, there's teams that are better than them, and I think the Dodgers are similar to the Royals but Royals back in 2015, where their offense can really take them really far, and they also have a really good pitching staff. Um, so I think that the Rays are definitely going to have an uphill climb. I'm going to say Dodgers 4-2 in the series. I don't know if I said it on this podcast, but before the playoffs started, that was my prediction, so that would be pretty cool if that worked out. Um, Nick, any comments? Nick's getting his phone to work. Hold on. (laughs) I'll just keep talking. Um, yeah. So then, uh, I don't know. I think 4-2 is my pick for it. I, obviously seven games is a possibility. Um, but even though seven games is a possibility, I don't think it's going to go to that. I think that the Dodgers offense will ultimately, not to just keep talking about this, will ultimately, um, Take them over the edge. Uh, Going into basketball now, uh, first point of news I want to talk about is um, Doc Rivers signing as the 76ers head coach, replacing Brett Brown, who was fired earlier in their offseason. In my opinion, I was thinking about this the other night. I don't know how much basketball coaches and maybe baseball coaches actually have to have an impact on the team. Because if you think about it, there's so many coaches that just – they go to team to team, they become a good coach, they become a bad coach. Um, I don't know, what's like a good example? Maybe like Tom Thibodeau was seen as a really good head coach for the Bulls. Then he wasn't seen as good as a head coach. Then he went to the Timberwolves, wasn't a good head coach. And now people want him again. And if he goes to a team that has talent, people are going to say he's a good head coach. And I ultimately think it depends on the players you get. Um, and the ultimate impact that a coach is going to have, if you go to a team that has, I don't know, a bunch of stars, you don't really... The head coach isn't going to matter that much. If you go to a team that has young players, the head coach is going to have somewhat of an impact. But all in all, I don't really know how much... Because just think about it. Tyronn Lue, which we're going to talk about, is replacing Doc Rivers. In people's minds, Tyron Lue is not a better head coach than Doc Rivers. But he's getting the opportunity that Doc Rivers was fired from. And I just think that goes to show that it's somewhat luck for head coaches. And I don't want to, like, throw out such a hot take, but I just don't know how much head coaches really impact a team. And that's something I've always really thought about regarding sports, and I don't want to make this, like, a whole topic. But just head coaches' ultimate impact. I think, like I said, football, there's a lot of personalities to take control of more than 50 people, uh, players with wanting to just break each other's bones, just tackle each other. Um, there's a lot of situations that they're going to have to handle that baseball coaches aren't going to have to handle, that basketball coaches aren't going to have to handle. So, I don't know. Uh, that's kind of just what I was thinking the other day, and I wanted to share that. But, yeah, I guess we'll go into Tyronn Lue now. He's De- decent fit.
1: Uh, basically because of his... Of his resume between you know handling LeBron James during his time in, in Cleveland, um, you no, know, I think he definitely does have the potential to help facilitate you know and glue the Clippers into what they need to be. But that being said, I do think the Clippers do need a little bit more talent. You know, I think Patrick Beverly. I feel like the Clippers, as Stephen A. Smith came out and said, Clippers are looking to get a, a All Star potentially level point guard.
0: Right.
1: I think that would elevate them personally. To that team that they want to be, and then just fill out whatever bigs you want to. Mm-hmm. You know, Patrick Beverly's decent, but he's not. He's not a superstar by any means. He's definitely an energizer. I see him as like an energizer bunny off the bench. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Tyron Lue can help glue that team together. Where I think Doc Rivers is, is, is a good person to help maybe figure out the issues. You know, around the fact that the 76ers can't shoot with their best two superstars mm-hmm. for the most part. I mean, Joel Embiid's okay at shooting threes, but obviously Ben Simmons has been pretty abysmal. Um, maybe Doc Rivers can find that answer and really help the 76ers glue. So, personally, I like both hires here. I was hoping the Rockets would get Doc Rivers, but it um, should be interesting to see, how, how, in my opinion, I guess how the 76ers improve or how they change their game plan around Doc Rivers. I think like he is going to make an impact with the 76ers.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. Um, I'm going to talk about Anthony Davis, and then you could talk about the Rocket GM mm-hmm. resigning. Okay, so the Anthony Anthony Davis news, he's expected to opt out of his contract, um, which is looking at it, he is opting out, but he totally plans to re-sign with the Lakers. I think he already said that he's not going to even look at anyone else, Um, but obviously um, he thinks he deserves more money, and I think that's totally fair. Uh, They hope to sign to a max four-year contract, something like that, um, and... I mean, there's not really much to talk about there because it was expected. Um, even if he is opting out, he's going to resign, which is an expected thing. Um,
1: I think the only thing that matters with that is the contract that he does wind up signing is going to be important. There's a couple of different rumors out coming out, but a lot of them follow these couple trends. A, he's going to try to take a pay cut because he thinks he was expected to make $27 million a year with the expected salary cap of 2021 being $109 million. Mm-hmm. Um, if he takes a pay cut, they can afford another superstar, um, potentially elevate the team, depending on who they can acquire free agency. That could be option A. Option B is Anthony Davis, right? He can, he can ask for more money than $27 million a year. He, he can go towards that $40 million range that uh, Russell Westbrook, James Harden are getting right now. Mm-hmm. Um, he could do B. Um, C, which it could be A and B is the years on his contract. He can either get like a four year max or he can try and what I've heard from couples of uh, sites is he might plan to adjust it to the fact that he might have the same amount of years on his contract left with LeBron James. So let's say that they're they're playing, mm, it doesn't work out. Thing. They can both leave the Lakers together. They can both resign with the Lakers together. They can go opposite ways. They can go, you know, part ways. It opens up a lot of different options and doesn't honestly in my opinion, at least the Lakers are in a better place. But Let's say this team falls apart over the next two years and they really don't have the talent around LeBron James and Anthony Davis win another championship, which those players alone are able to probably win you a championship. But I think the bench and the veterans that the Lakers had goes a long way in terms of over Mm -hmm. the stretch of the entire season in the playoffs. So let's say they can't put it together again. It gives the Lakers a lot of options as well as the Anthony Davis and LeBron James. So I think it opens up a lot of options if they do want to sign for the same amount of remaining times. Um, know a lot of options here what, what he does with this contract so it should be interesting to see how he structures it
0: right yeah that is interesting okay
1: um, and that being said the last piece of news for the week is Rocks GM uh, Daryl Morey uh, has decided to resign as the GM of the Rockets which is I don't know how to feel about it because <laughs> he did bring us James Harden and that's been huge for the Rockets um, but at the same time we have not won a championship under G- with James Harden and He's kind of screwed the Rockets. They have such they have minimal amount of picks to trade to use to really improve the team. Their salary cap's basically nothing. I think we're we're about to push on to the luxury tax soon. I think we may have have another nine million a year to spare based on tax exemptions. I was looking at the numbers and it's really complicated and I don't really understand it that well to be honest. Um, I feel like the NBA is a little bit more difficult in terms of their contracts because you have your salary cap, but then you also have like luxury tax and and tax exemptions so like the way the salaries works out a little weird but I think the salary cap for the year is 109 million so Rockets don't have that much money left so we're not really in a position to sign any big free agents and we're nowhere near the free agent you know nowhere near the the, the world oh, I keep messing up oh my god the finals thank you <laughs> I named about every single championship except the, the NBA we're, ne- we're like nowhere near the finals right now it's just tough um it came out that we tried to get uh uh Noel before uh um, before the deadline, but apparently we couldn't get him, so we were kind of unintentionally left out of center. Should be interesting to see where the Rockets plan to get a center from, because as it goes right now, whatever the next head coach is going to be, they're probably going to want a center. It would make a lot of sense. Um, so we'll have to see what happens. But uh, congrats to Mori on, on, you know, finding James Harden from, you know, let's say finding him, acquiring him from the Thunder. Um, probably the best move a GM has probably ever made in terms of a trade. Um, yeah. I can't really think of a better trade than that.
0: Yeah, very true.
1: You know, there's, there's signings, but in terms of trades, I can't think of a better trade. So uh, definitely a prize right there. But uh, kind of sad to see him go. Kind of not because he, he did ruin the team beyond that, in my opinion. They ruined him, but hasn't really got us to that, that championship yet. So hopefully whoever's next GMO. I think the GM that stepped up, forgot his name, but he was the VP um, for operations for the Rockets. So uh, the Rockets owner is putting a lot of faith in him hopefully he'll do well let's see where we go from here but all in that i think that rounds out the nba as well as all our news for the week um with that being said thank you guys for listening i definitely ran through football pretty quickly today but i wanted to get to the rest of the news and definitely help cut down the time a little bit i think we're a little closer right, to right. an hour now um, so it's kind of where we mm-hmm. want to be mm-hmm. um you know we want to have a good amount of content but not too much where people want to start clicking off and get bored but um, that being said, if you guys have any comments, questions, concerns, feel free to leave them on my email at nichosworth 10 at yahoo.com. Uh, again, thank you guys for listening. See you guys next week. Handing over to Brian. Peace out.
0: Um, yeah, uh, not much to say. Uh, I guess I'll just end it. So we'll be back next week with another podcast. Let us know what you thought of this. You can DM us, email us, whatever you want. Um, check out our videos on YouTube, Instagram, website, TikTok. If you have any interest writing for us, editing videos, any way you think it'd help, contact thesportuniverse2019 at gmail.com. And thanks for listening.